Apple presents events at the Apple Store. Let's take a look at the trailer for Promised Land. You guys have closed more towns than the team behind you by triple digits. How do you do that? I grew up in a large farming community. Tractor pulls, cow tipping. We had a caterpillar plant. My junior year, they closed it down. And that whole farming town fantasy was just shattered. I'm selling them the only way they have to get back. I am happy to announce we will be bringing natural gas to McKinley. I can't believe this is right outside the city. It looks like Kentucky. Two hours outside any city looks like Kentucky. Are you the owner of this place? No. Well, how come you're doing all the work? You sign this lease, it gives us the right to drill on your land. A whole lot of money down there. That is true. How much you think? There's no reason your town shouldn't have a state-of-the-art high school. What kind of money are you talking about? You could be a millionaire. I thought it would be harder. It's too easy. Research say anything about an environmental presence here? No. Let me guess. 40, married, marketing, two kids. 38, stripper slash waitress, but born to be a singer. Well, I'm a teacher. No, no, I was talking about me. Hi, everybody. I'm here because my farm is gone. The land just turned brown and it died. If it's happened to one of us, it can happen to all of us. The town is going to put it to a vote in three weeks. What the hell happened? You were supposed to get in, get out. Steven and I can handle this, sir. Know everything about your company. Know what you do. You think you have what is eggs? To beat you, yeah. Hey, there she is. You ready to go? Yeah. This town, this life, it's dying. You all see it coming and you just don't get out of the way. We're not fighting for land, Steve. We're fighting for people. You ain't ever gonna get what you came here to take from me. I don't even like the fact that you're here trying. You're a good man, Steve. I just wish you weren't doing this. dollar company. Do you know what we're capable of? Do you? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome this evening's guest moderator from Rolling Stone, Peter Travers. And tonight's guests, John Krasinski and Matt Damon. This is... So we're going to talk about shopping. Fantastic. You, know, you can yes. do a lot to do. You yeah. guys actually wrote together. We did, yeah. How was that accomplished? Um, how do I answer <laughs> that? Uh, um, no, I mean, I, I've, uh, you know, I've written with actors before. I heard that. <laughs> what happened to that guy? Uh, nothing. He, he didn't amount to much. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, writing with John was, it was almost exactly like writing with Ben Affleck. It, um, you know, I think probably because we're all actors, we have the tendency to get up and, you know, take on all the different characters and uh, run around a room shouting and improvising, and and uh, eventually a script comes out of that. Sounds like a good DVD extra. <laughs> it's really not. <laughs> not really not. That was it. Tell since we only saw the trailer, what we should start by saying, who you play and who you play, and then we will have a foundation in which to take off into the wild blue of your own imaginations. Uh, okay, well, I play a, uh, 
what they call a landman, who's somebody who goes and locks up these leases um, to, um, for rights to, to drill on, on people's property. Um, and uh, uh, so my character, Steve, is basically, you know, he's the, he's the traveling salesman who goes into the town and uh, changes the town and is changed by the town. That sounded very vague. Well, yeah, I mean, I, you, got, you still got to see them. You movie. still have, I know. Well, come on. You got to give them a little more than that. Plot, Act that, one, scene one. Um, Act one, scene one. Yes. What is that? Because you can't, well, you can sort of describe who you're playing. Yeah, I, yeah. Uh, I play an environmentalist who, the, uh, when Matt's character comes to the town, uh, I basically don't think what he's doing is a very good thing. So I, I speak out against it and get the whole town behind me. So the it, the it is fracking. Yes. Wow, this is like a quiz show now. <laughs> we can do multiple yes. choice. Yes. What it, is fracking? It is. What, and again, yes. To those, does everyone know what fracking is? One person does. One person does. So it's good. It's good to explain a little bit about what it is because you want to go in there with your company and you want to start this hydraulic drilling. Right. And yeah, but the character that I play is uh, he grew up in a, in a farming community and uh, watched his town basically be hollowed out when the industry left. Uh, you know, a factory in town closed down and, and uh, he saw um, what happened to his town. And, and so he's very much a believer. He's a realist. He's very much a believer in industry and, and, uh, and, and feels like he's really offering a lifeline to these communities that he goes into um, uh, with, with these deals. And, and, and our research really did bear that out. I mean, you know, you go into some of these rural areas who are, you know, on the back end of a recession. And if you think it's bad in a city, I mean, the rural areas are really where people get hit. And there are a lot of people who've signed these agreements because they um, are trying to cling to uh, a way of life, a family farm that they've had maybe in their family for a hundred years and, and, uh, and they're in danger of, of, of losing these, uh, these farms and this way of life. And so they're, um, uh, they're signing these agreements to, as you know, and when we made the movie, I mean, the first day we were shooting, some farmers showed up and said, Hey, is this about fracking? Like you shouldn't say anything bad about that. We really need this. Um, and so even you go into all of these communities and people are very divided. Um, they feel very strongly for it or very strongly against it. Well, they have no money. So they're being offered money. Yeah, no, yeah. no, that's exactly yeah. right. And, uh, and these aren't hypothetical. These aren't, you know, intellectual exercises. This is really their, these are their lives. This is, you know, it's, it, it wouldn't be right for me to sit and, and, and judge the decisions they're making from the safety and security of my life in New York City. You know. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you come in and say, this is garbage. This is crap. <clears throat> yeah, I, I bring the other side of it, which is, you know, uh, I think, you know, when we were writing the, the script, we wanted to tell a story about American identity and these communities that are going through very real uh, uh, trials and, and just looking to survive. And so fracking was an incredible backdrop because it's such a high stakes poker kind of issue, which is there's so much potential to win. And there's so much potential to lose. And so <clears throat> depending on how you feel about it, that story is going to adjust with what you're, you decide. So my character comes in and basically pitches that the, there's so much potentially to lose that if this drilling is not done safely, then the releasing of the gas will <clears throat> you know, um, come up through the ground and be extremely poisonous and, and, uh, and contaminate water resources and all those things. So I just bring the opposite side of the argument than, than Matt's character. So you 
decide to write this, but in the credits we'll see that Dave Eggers is credited with the story. And who really started this? Uh, I had the idea about two years ago. And uh, again, like I said, I wanted... That's pretty good. To, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's amazing, yeah. Are you, you, seem, you seem so surprised. Well, two My years God. is not, nothing. I thought we had something. <laughs> something. No, no, in, in movie years, yeah, years. The, the yeah, yeah, yeah. glacial pace of movie making, oh, yeah. yeah, that's really fast. Yeah, and uh, so I had the idea about two years ago. My dad grew up in a small uh, uh, steel mill town outside of Pittsburgh, so I think I subconsciously wrote it for him in that, you know, the way he described his life and, and, uh, and uh, upbringing his dad had three jobs and he wasn't, they didn't necessarily have a whole ton of money. And so I remember being an ignorant eight year old being like, so you mean your childhood was awful? And he was like, no, it was fantastic. We had family, friends, we had this faith in each other and the faith that there would be, a, tomorrow would be a better day. And I remember that always stuck with me, the purity of that idea. So what I wanted to do was tell a story about these uh, towns that are going through things because I think the way the political landscape was heading at the time and did head is that we made a whole lot of noise about <clears throat> the people who you wanted to elect regardless of the party, rather than the people who are actually going to be affected by the decisions in these people. And I think that we've gotten so far away politically of telling the real story of who's living through these times and living in this country. And so I wanted to tell the story about them. So I brought the story then to Dave Eggers, who at the time I had worked with on Away We Go. And uh, thank you, one person loved it. <laughs> um, and that was Dave, actually. Um, and, uh, and I had done a bunch of things with him for his charity, 826. And so uh, I knew him really well. And I just brought it to him to go over story and characters, because a lot of these issues are very close to his heart, too. So we hashed out some characters and some story. And with that basic structure, I brought that to Matt. And that's what I pitched him. And that's what he jumped on board. And we started writing. It just sounds so simple, and it happened, and you said the story, and then you brought it to me. Is he just sitting around looking movie. for another yeah. guy to write with? <laughs> well, no, we were talking a lot about oh, you uh, stuff we could do together, and we were looking for this, because I met John through Emily, through his wife, um, and so we'd go out to dinner, and we'd talk about stuff to do, and, and this, uh, my original plan was to direct this movie. It was going to be the first thing that I directed, and it was the exact scale of what I was looking for, and that it was a small story. It was about people. Um, you know, it, not a lot of bells and whistles. And, um, you know, when Steven Spielberg told me about 10 years ago that when you... Get sorry, that for you. Know, get sorry. Right, sorry about that. Just drop that name. Thanks, got it. Uh, <laughs> um, that the first time you direct, you should direct something just simple. He said, just try and see if you can tell a simple story and see if you have, a, you know, an ability to do that in this medium and, and, and don't try to take on too much. So, you know, I talked to Ben Affleck about that when he did Gone Baby Gone, and that was why that movie was that size and scale, Ben really, for his first movie, went like, this is really a manageable size of something. Um, and then he got progressively bigger and, and better. So he was dealing with hostage crises, yes. yes. And just yes. bringing it all on to do this. But, well, before I even ask this next question, we have a scene, and the scene contains both of you. So let's look at that, digest it. There's no real scene that can contain John Krasinski. Thank you. <laughs> Finally, someone said it. <laughs> See, I know everything about your company. I know what you do. I know how to beat it. You know how to beat, wait, no, okay, by, 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 by uh, uh, telling bull sob stories and singing Springsteen. Sorry. You seem like you really you gotta nice be kid kidding me. that Thank doesn't you. understand that he is in way over his head on this one. We've already signed more than enough leases to start development in this town. Oh. Too late. I really wouldn't underestimate these people. I don't. 
how you think what you're doing is right. And I really admire that commitment. But your presence here only confuses people. But we appreciate what you're doing, and we would like to make a donation to your organization. Your cooperation is valuable to us. Nice work having uh, Francis McDormand in the movie as well. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> I guess, I mean, you decide I can't direct the movie uh, for whatever reason. Yeah, no, it was just a scheduling reason. I was, I'd been You doing were doing guest shots on The Office. <laughs> no, no, I'd been away doing a big science fiction movie and I'd been away from my kids yeah. and, and, uh, and I was gonna have to go into pre-production two weeks after I got home and leave them again and it just, it just, I just couldn't do it. So um, I, it was hard for me selfishly to give it up um, because you know, the script had gotten to a really good place and I was really excited about it. But, um, but I called that old hack Gus Van Sant and, <laughs> um, and, and he, you know, so we like to say that the best thing I did as a producer was fire myself as the director um, because we got Gus. Well, you got Gus, but what's the, how do you tell John after the two of you have been working on this and it was your plan <laughs> to direct it? And what was his reaction and would he tilt over in that chair? I just got over it yesterday. <laughs> yeah. It was horrible. No, it was the worst moment of the whole very blissful experience. Um, but I knew that I couldn't do it and I knew that it was the wrong thing and, and me half distracted trying to do this was not going to serve what we had, you know, wanted, which was for it to come out the way it is now. And, um, and, and I said to John, like, I know this is horrible, but because John was like, it was right before the Christmas holiday. So John was like, not only can we not reach any directors right now, we can't even get our agent on the phone, <laughs> um, which was true. Um, and Hollywood takes 17 weeks off for Christmas, in case people don't know. And Warner Brothers was funding it because of, out of, you know, for me, really, because I have a deal there. And, and so when I bowed out, I knew we were going to lose our money. And. So it was a real, it was a tough one, but, um, but it, you know, it was for the right creative and, you know, emotional reasons, and, uh, and it all worked out about yeah, 12 well, hours but later. But at the time, God. it was the great uh, holiday season for all. It just sounds like angst and nervousness, and then, what, you can just call Gus and said, remember we did Goodwill Hunting together? Yeah, no, I was, uh, <laughs> I emailed him, actually. I, you know, the next morning I felt horrible, and we were on our way to Florida, my, with my, I was on with my wife and kids, and and, uh, and I e emailed him from the from the plane, um, and he wrote right back. I had explained everything, and he said, "Well, send your script to me. I love your writing." And and uh, and at that you know that Alec Baldwin moment on the plane where they're really telling you to turn your phone off, <laughs> um, and I'm like, "I'm not playing words with friends. This is important," you know. <laughs> And she was giving me the, you better turn it off look. Um, I, I, I forwarded the script to him and shut my phone off. And by the time we landed in Miami, um, Gus had read the script. Um, this is two hours later. He'd read the script and said he wanted to do it. So it was really, it couldn't have been better for, for us. Don't try this at home, because it just doesn't work. <laughs> you know, you could email Gus 200 times, and maybe there's not going to be a response. But it happens. You shoot it. Where do you shoot it? We shot it actually just outside uh, Pittsburgh <clears throat> and uh, weirdly 10 miles from where my dad grew up. So that was pretty awesome for me personally. 
having like an existential moment with my dad when he came and visited and people were like, what's Krasinski's deal? And I was like, this is so beautiful. <laughs> um, and uh, it was unbelievable uh, to shoot there. The people were incredibly generous and really, really sweet. But like Matt said, they were uh, not inhibited at all to, to uh, come and tell you how they felt about what we were doing. Well, what, how would both of you react when people haven't seen the movie as I have? They're looking at the trailer, they're looking at scenes, and they would say, you two guys are doing a movie about fracking and about the danger of it. And they would say, is this just some liberal, lefty Hollywood premise that you're going to speak to us, you're going to be up on a pulpit doing it? You prepare for that kind of thing? You know, I... I actually remember when we were writing, um, there was one day, it was about a week or two into writing, and uh, we started to write the stuff about fracking. We had done some other scenes when we were starting to write the stuff about fracking. And Matt said to me, listen, I've been down this road before, and this just became the anti-fracking movie for the people who want to believe that. That just happened. So it's over now, and uh, no matter what we do, that's what people are going to think before they go see the movie, if that's what they want to think, and there's nothing we can do about it. And we never spoke about it again. And I thought that that was pretty cool. And, you know, again, our whole story is about the people and what their decision is. It's, it's not, you know, wildly uh, liberal or one-sided in my estimation, but it's, it's, uh, it's about these people and the conflict that they're going through. So for me, I kind of learned that lesson in seventh grade when I tried to pitch a book to my teacher that I hadn't read. <laughs> and the teacher was like, yeah, you're going to maybe not want to do that because you're sounding... Uh, pretty ignorant. And I, I said, Ooh, okay, it sounds good. Okay, I'm going to take that as a really good note for the rest of my life. So if I learned it then and people are still learning it now, that's fine. But it's, it's one of those things that I think we're both happy to discuss anything once people have actually seen the movie and they, they know what, what it is they're upset or, or feeling good about. That's the key, getting them in to see that because they're, it's all gray area to me. It's all people saying, I, I need the money. What am I doing? Uh, how do I justify it to myself? Uh, so it's people. Well, that's what we really wanted. That was the real goal of the, of the movie and in the writing. We really wanted to build these characters who felt relatable and felt like people we know. I mean, you know, there's a character who gets five grand and goes and buys a Corvette. And like, we all know that guy. And in fact, Lucas Black, who plays him, told, <laughs> thought that, <laughs> that we had based it on a guy in his town in Alabama because he's he grew up with a guy who not only bought a Corvette that he couldn't afford, but he tattooed the Corvette logo across his chest, oh, that's subsequently sincere. lost his car, and now just has the tattoo. And Lucas was like... Which is still pretty cool, I gotta say. And Lucas was like, y'all know my friend down in Alabama? <laughs> we were just like, no, man, we, do, we, we made it up. But we, 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 you know, we wanted it to stand in more for someone maybe who took out a liar loan or who, you know, but, but, uh, but I guess this guy actually did this with a Corvette. Um, uh, we weren't trying to be that literal. Um, but, but all of the characters feel like, I mean, Frances McDormand's character is making her decisions based entirely on her son and on taking care of her kid. And we all know those people, you know, we, that's us, you know, people and all of jobs. it. Yeah. Yeah. People yeah. with jobs. Mm. Exactly. <laughs> that they want to hold on to <laughs> exactly. in that kind of economy. Right. All right. Before I want the audience to ask questions, but we, we want to see another scene that can contain both John Krasinski and Matt Damon. This is it. You like your job, Steve? You love what you do? Yeah. On days like this? Yeah, I do. 
Thanks, Jess. Hey, uh, get my friend a beer as well. One of those uh, fancy imported ones. Sure. Yeah, maybe a, like a granola bar to go with it. I'll see you there. You have what it takes, Steve. Hmm? Thank you. You think you have what it takes? Oh, to beat you? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you just might. Hey, man, I'll drink to that. Okay. Hey, there she is. You ready to go? Yeah. All right. Hey, Steve, thanks again for the beer. That was really sweet. And then take it to go. Hope you guys have a great night. Thanks, Jess. Great. I'm really looking forward to the fair tomorrow. Should be fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I admired. I mean, you did the two-handed picture holder really as if it were from life. Uh, I believed you. it. I, I truly thank did. You. I yeah. think the stage direction was Steve stands there holding two pitchers of beer like a jackass. <laughs> I think that was the actual, it, that was the jackass shot, just the guy who's, thanks. See ya. <laughs> I had uh, read somewhere in terms of, of Gus Van Zandt directing that he likes to do uh, a silent take. Yeah. What is that? That came from uh, Terrence Malick. Um, Sean Penn told him, Grab that name, I dropped it. Mm. Sorry. There's a, there's a couple down here. There's Here's a couple down Affleck. there. It's right next to okay. Terry Malick. Right. Right. <laughs> um, Pile. <laughs> but this is a true story. And these aren't my names to drop. This was Gus's. So oh. Sean told Gus when they did Milk together that Terrence Malick always did a silent version of the scene. Um, he did the scene all the way through with no dialogue, but the same, the same uh, just intentions. And, uh, and Gus started doing it on Milk, and there are actually two scenes in Milk that are silent takes. Um, and we have a scene in here that's partially a silent, that's from the silent take, and that it, where it actually, the silence replaced the dialogue. Uh, and it works really well, and, and I asked Gus about it, and what he said was it's not only, it, you not only sometimes find that you don't need the words, right, and that it's just very clear just the way, visually, how it's unfolding, but the, there's another added benefit, which is for reaction shots. Oftentimes, on the silent take, the actors really throw it away because they're like, well, this is a silent take. I mean, who gives a shit? You know, I'll just, you know, and they, and they, and they really relax. And, they, and, and Gus said, oftentimes, your best reactions are in that silent take because you get the most natural stuff. So, so if I asked each of you, if I said, man, what's it like working with Krasinski? And Krasinski, what's it like working with Damon? Can you do your silent take on the answer to that question? I was supposed to say thud. Was it? <laughs> I'll teach you about sound effects later. Um, <laughs> uh, I could do it, yeah. You could do it, but you won't, won't you? Well, I mean, you know. Maybe you'll, you'll think about it a little. While How do you do a silent questions? version of pure joy? <laughs> That's it, right That's there. It. Yes. That's perfect. Okay, audience time. So Sway to the mic to get to you, please. Right here in the front, in the middle. Uh, hey, uh, it's a huge honor to be in front of all three of you. That was a really nice surprise that you're here, Mr. Travers. Um, this was sort of your guys' project, and then Gus came on it. How was it to have this third creative mind all of a sudden come on to the project, and did he ever have opposing ideas as to what he wanted that you guys had to sort of work with? For me, it was a lesson in I, every, every movie now that I do, I'm going to, I'm going to literally, because I prepared it as a director, um, and so I learned so much uh, watching 
the decisions that Gus made that I was gonna also make, and then the ones that I hadn't thought of. Like there's a shot, the second day we shot, um, there's a scene where the landman, the guy that I play, goes to uh, pitch a farmer, right, who's clearly struggling, played by a great uh, character actor named Tim Guinea. And there's this beautiful little girl, his daughter, who's six or seven years old, and they go into the house to discuss this deal. And Gus gave this little girl a coloring book. And like, you know, like little kids are great, because if you can give them a task, they totally forget that the, uh, that the camera's there. So he put her in the foreground of the shot. And in the background of the shot, um, in the other room, you, know, you see the doorway and you see the, the farmer. Uh, and then you just see the landman, my character. You just see my hands and a clipboard. Right? And the camera just slowly pushes in, and this beautiful little girl, prominently featured in the foreground, who's diligently coloring away in her coloring book, just oblivious, you know, completely innocent, and oblivious to this deal that's going on behind her back in the other room that the former generation is making uh, without her knowledge that will potentially have huge implications, one way or another, you know, for, uh, for her life. Um, and so that was like, to me, you know, and we wrote it and we were like, man, I never thought of that. That is like, it's a perfect kind of visual expression of that idea, of, that, of, the, of the whole thing. Um, and that whole idea of stewardship and that whole idea of what we're leaving. Um, and the, and, and, but in the middle of it is this performance by Tim Guinea, this phenomenal character actor. And you see when he's told that he could be a millionaire, you see, I mean, what this means to this guy, what his, what... You know, and, and it's just so real, and it's just, and you, and so you, that's the thing, it's just, it, these are really complex problems, and there are real people in the middle of them, and, uh, and that's what we were just trying to do with the movie. There's a vote that takes place at the end of the movie. We never say what the outcome is, of the vote is, because that's not the issue. What the issue is, is, uh, the issue is how they go about making the decision, and is the decision made in a democratic way whatever it is, and do, does the citizenry engage and, and take responsibility uh, for their decisions? All the way over here on your right, way over here. These are two questions for Matt and John. For Matt, is there a chance that you're gonna be in the fifth Jason Bourne movie? And for John, how did you develop the voice of Sir Lancelot and Shrek the Third? Have I what? Developed the character. Develop the voice for the character of Sir Lancelot and Shrek the Third. No, but thank you, because I figure a whole movie should be made about that one character. It's about time someone gave me this respect, Peter. I see it, and you're responding well. Do you well. see what I mean? Yes, I do. Um, no, I haven't, but I would love to, and I would also love to be in Jason Bourne 5. So <laughs> both of those things are possible. Uh, the, yeah, the I mean, I've always... If Paul Greengrass uh, wants to do it, and if we can come up with an idea, um, we just haven't, re we really genuinely have not been able to think of an idea. We'd love to do it. I love that character. I love those movies. And, but the deal that I always had with him, I never signed up for three movies. I signed up for one, and then I signed up for another, and then I signed up for another. And, and the deal that I always had, and I feel like it's a deal with the audience, is I wouldn't do it unless I genuinely felt like we could make one that was as good as the one that came before it. And, uh, and I just, I don't want to mess that up. And this last go round, they, believe me, they wanted us to do one, but we genuinely couldn't think of a story that we thought was good enough. And they had a deal with the Ludlam estate 
and they had to get a movie out in 2012. And so when Tony Gilroy came to them with this idea of how to do it with another guy, um, you know, that was really the, basically the only option I think they probably felt that they had because we didn't have a movie for them. I've met Jeremy Renner. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's great. <laughs> he's one of my favorite actors working today. He's fantastic. And he's a really, really great guy, too. Next question, front row. Um, I just want to say Good Will Hunting is my favorite movie. <laughs> is that a Bruins hat? What do you got? No, it's uh, oh. Brooklyn. <laughs> oh, Brooklyn. Yeah. Right. Um, and congratulations on all the success with The Office. Thank you very much. Thank um, you. My question is for Matt on... Um, this is the first movie you've done with Gus since Goodwill Hunting, and I was just wondering um, what your professional relationship has been since Goodwill Hunting. And I know you said the reason why Gus came in, but was there ever a movie you wanted to work on with Gus? There were a this? few. Actually, we did a very small, very small uh, independent movie called Jerry, which I don't even know if Peter saw. I did. <laughs> Thank you. So you're the this one. Me, there were three others. <laughs> no, really, they were well, in yes. the room with me. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, and <laughs> I did. Uh, right, there were three others. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, uh, I, did a, I also did a cameo in Finding Forrester, which is a movie he did, and then I was going to be in Milk, um, and I was uh, in Josh Brolin's role. Um, I was really excited to be in Milk. I read that screenplay and thought it was absolutely brilliant and was really excited to do it, and then Sean, for some reason, pushed the movie. Let me get that, sorry. Um, Not even last names yeah, I know. anymore. It's just, just when your when dog came in and was yeah. like, "Oh boy!" <laughs> so Sean had to push for some reason, and so and I, which which made me unable to do it because I was going away to work with Paul Greengrass. So, uh, so I lost that part. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> I, I I had to give up that part. Um, though having seen the movie and Josh was so phenomenal, it's the kind of proof that the right actor gets the part, you know, and I, and I really do believe that, you know, I was attached to play Christian Bale's role in The Fighter at one point, and needless to say, the right actor got the part, and I, and I, and I really do feel that that kind of has borne out over my career, all these opportunities that I haven't been able to take advantage of, it, they've always found the right person. Thanks, thanks. Over here to your right in the back. John, I was just wondering if you could talk about what you learned about yourself and what you learned about your father during the making of this movie? Wow, uh, great question. I am your father. <laughs> oh, jeez. God, I think there's a trademark you just violated somehow. We owe him a lot of money right now. Um, uh, it, it's really interesting. I talked to my dad a lot about uh, his upbringing, and, and I've been back to that area of Pittsburgh a whole lot. And to be honest, there was just a really whole new moment that I had with him when he came to visit set. There was something really special about him coming to set 10 miles from his house and saying, you know, this is where I used to pick apples and I know this farm. And, and uh, you know, my mom, he and I drove around all day and went to all these old spots. So it was really just more of a, an incredible father-son moment for me. My dad's my hero and I respect him more than anybody else. So to me, it was just also a really interesting window for him to see the movie making side of it because I had written it and was producing it. He got to see a whole bunch of different stuff and I got to show off this guy and a couple other people. So uh, really for me, it was just one of those bonding moments where I think I got to learn a lot more about him and he got to learn a lot more about me. Next question, although in the back behind the camera. All right, Matt, this is for you. Um, since the budget, I mean, the movie came out of Warner, did the budget change, and did you have to take a cut to make this movie, or how did the budget go from there? 
Well, we were all, all, all going to always have to take a cut to do the movie. Um, that's just the nature of movies like this. You do, they just, th these aren't the kind that you really, they, they, pay, you know, they pay you the full freight for. Um, and, and we knew that. And, uh, but no, Warner's was, uh, um, we, we did a round of financing meetings in L.A. in January of last year. And everybody we met with pretty much came in around 17 to $18 million all in for the, for the movie. Uh, and that's with the tax break you'd get shooting either here uh, or Pennsylvania, um, which were the main two states we were we were uh, between just because of the look of them. Um, but uh, but you know it, that's really what the movie costs. That's basically what Goodwill Hunting costs to adjusted for inflation. Um, that's about all you need to tell. Uh, I mean that's plenty. I mean we all had you know we had trailers and stuff. I mean we were you know we had craft service. We had good food. Um, you know, it wasn't like we were, we were, uh, you know, slumming it or anything. We, we, it was plenty of money to make, to make the film. We have time for two more questions. The next one's way over here on the right in the back. I just wanted to know what you would have as far as advice for up and coming actors that are trying to do the darn thing. Um, <clears throat> when I was working in uh, New York, I was a waiter, but I was also a, a um, the reader for Warner Brothers casting. And so I was just the guy who you'd read with before you, you know, went and got the job. And I learned so much from that job, more than anything else, because A, you got to see people working, and B, you got to hear the feedback all in one room. And the thing I learned from being in there is, um, <clears throat> I know it sounds really cliche, but it's confidence, that if you know you have it, don't waste your time being too polite, don't waste your time, you know, that, you know... <laughs> I knew he was gonna say that. Um, but uh, don't waste your time being too polite. Don't waste your time you know, uh, thinking about all the things that might be with this audition. Just go in, get out, this is how you do it. And if they love you, they're gonna call you back. And if they don't, they don't. There will always be another one. The other thing that I, I learned really on Goodwill Hunting, it was the first time that I was in that position where I was on the other side. Um, and I'd you know, been rejected thousands of times and I, and I, you know, and I always had that, that kind of actor chip on my shoulder. like because you have to boost yourself up and your friends up or else, you know, you, you, no, the business certainly isn't validating you ever, really, until it starts to validate you. Um, and, but what I learned being on the other side of the table was, and, and was how desperate they are for somebody to come in and seize the role because it solves so many problems, you know? And, and I used to think, well, they wanted me to fail when in fact the opposite is true. They're rooting for you. They want you to be great because if you are, then they can give you the role and, and that whole headache goes away for them. So, so know that they're, that, you know, as John says, to go confidently, make your choices and follow them confidently and then, and know that those people are really wanting you to be great. Good luck, by the way. Thank you. Break a leg. Our last question's in the front row. Um, hi. Uh, Matt Damon, I love your uh, job in uh, Goodwill Hunting. And I was an extra in Bond Legacy, the last scenes of the factory. Um, my question was to you, what other role would you like to play beside being that you're an actor and you play most of the roles before? Um, why? Why would you like to play in uh, other roles, like as in medical patient or anything else besides just action roles and stuff like that? I, it really is, uh, it's completely a director's medium. 
So I make all of the choices based on the directors that I can work with. So I don't think of it in terms of, of uh, you know, there being one role, uh, you know, a doctor or a lawyer or, or you know, uh, it, it's really more about the director that I'm going to get a chance to work with. I've, I've learned that a, a mediocre director can take a great script and make it mediocre, and a great director can take a mediocre piece of material and make it great. Um, it's r so much power rests with the director that that's the person you really want to hit your wagon to, and and more often than not, they'll 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 make something that you're that you're proud of. So what director? That I if, if I had to pick a director that I haven't worked with, that's because I could just go back and work with the ones that I've already worked with, and I would be more than satisfied. Um, but the the director is a pretty easy answer for me would be Ben Affleck. <laughs> <laughs> I want to ask the last question of the two of you about acting, not directors, but you looking at each other, not looking at the promised land for the best scene or the scene that's going to explain things to us. But when you look at John, is there a moment in the movie that with him that sticks with you and vice versa? Yeah, his final scene. Mm -hmm. uh, well, you can't talk about Yeah, which I can't talk about. But <clears throat> what I can say is when I met George Clooney, Oh, God. God. Um, no, he was really known for being, he, as the guy from ER, uh, you know, 12 years ago. And, uh, and yet, Steven Soderbergh worked with him, sorry, <laughs> um, it worked with him, uh, you know, on Out of Sight and instantly formed a company with him. And everybody in Hollywood went, what is Steven Soderbergh doing forming a company with the guy from ER? Like, that's so weird. <laughs> Um, but the reality was Stephen knew that the perception of George then was not the perception people would have a dozen years later, that he was far more dynamic, that the scope and the breadth of his talent was far greater than anybody even understood. Um, he was famous for one thing, but he was going to be doing a lot more than that. And that's exactly how I feel about John. Like, he's great on the show. It is, he's perfect on that show. He's had nine years to hone a performance that started out great and only got better. But the scope of it and breadth of his talent is so much greater that I sat with him, hung out with him, and instantly said, can we write something together? Can we do something together? I really want to make a movie with you. And, uh, and I mark my words, in a dozen years, the way people think about him will be very different than it is now. Well, now. Thank you. Now you can't say all those can't nasty things you were going to say about it. can't say you anything. Can't. <laughs> really. It's Matt, just you're really good. good. <laughs> I don't mean, where do I go with that? Um, do, you, do you really want me to? No, I won't, because I could see that. So instead, we're just all going to thank you. Matt, John, thank you for that. Thank you Thanks so much, everyone. guys. Thanks for coming out. Really appreciate it. Thank you.